So this week is uh, Symposia Week up at uh, our seminary in Fort Wayne, and uh, partly due to that wonderful annual event. Is that done already? You copied that? Oh, excellent. Okay. All right. I got it copied. Uh, Dude, thank you. You're dismissed. (laughs) What? Um, I'll tell you in a second after I get done. Um, Because of that, we actually have some wonderful guests with us here today. And so, uh, Pastor Allman, do you want to introduce some guests that you have here today, a very dear friend of yours? I could introduce him because I know him quite as well, but they're tired of hearing me talk all the time. Do you want want to introduce uh, someone special that is uh, with us here today? He's one of the brightest men. I'm going to close your ears, Dr. Noland. This is one of the, the, the brightest men in the Missouri Synod and has been a real blessing for me over the years. Uh, may not know me that well, but uh, go, go ahead. Uh, Pastor uh, Martin Noland and Carla, his wife, uh, they were uh, near us down in Evansville when I pastor down there. He was at Trinity. I was at St. Paul's, and we were blessed to have him in the area, one of the great scholars of our synod and great historian, too, so we're blessed to have them here today, and they're here for the symposium up in Fort Wayne this week. Welcome, Dr. Nolan and Mrs. Nolan. Good to have you with us. Okay, Noreen, come on up. You've got some special gifts here that deserve. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. You and I know each other just a little bit. Oh, yeah. But introduce yourself, and then you've got some guests with you as well that I think the congregation here at Advent would love to hear about. Okay, hi, I'm Noreen Linky. I know your pastor from a conference called ACELC that's been going on for 12 years or something like that. This is fine. I keep talking. Okay, and um, I'm here for symposia as well. I flew into Indianapolis and got a car. I'm bringing uh, Reverend Charles Wokema. He is an LCMS uh, pastor who has uh, accepted a call a number of years ago to be a career missionary, serving as a theological educator at the Lutheran Seminary in Nigeria. Pastor Wokema is Nigerian himself, although he's been in the US for decades and decades. But so he's kind of gone back home to, to teach. He has currently five of his students who graduated from the seminary in Nigeria at Fort Wayne studying for their STM. So that's really great. Um, beside Pastor Wokuma is his son, Asobo, who recently moved... <laughs> not... not <laughs> Please give him an especially warm welcome. He recently moved to Indianapolis, and I said he should come to church here. (laughs) Love to have you. We'd love to have you. Thank you. And uh, uh, Pastor, I believe you were traveling companions for many years with with Professor Marquardt, right? So you have an impersonation of him you're going to do for all of us today? (laughs) So he's going to be paying special attention in Bible class to make sure I don't get anything wrong, so... Let me hand this back to you. I've got it copied already. Thank you, sir. Welcome again to our guest. Good to have you with us today. Uh, and so because of that, Pastor Grady and I will be uh, up at Fort Wayne just a couple hours away, reachable by phone. So if anything uh, pops up, uh, give us a call, and uh, we'll be back down here. But uh, 
no uh, activities on Wednesdays this week uh, with catechism service. Uh, choir still going on, but uh, all the Wednesday stuff uh, is canceled for this week. Okay, any other questions logistically before we dive into our study for today? Good. Yes, Mrs. McKay. You have a question about the Old Testament reading. Okay, let's pray first, because anytime my wife raises her hand, I need prayer. (laughs) No, I'm joking. (laughs) The Lord be with you. Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and on earth, mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Your question is about the Old Testament reading, and you're going to connect this somehow to the Bible study we're doing, or is this a conversation over lunch today? Okay, ask away. It is Bible study after all. I'll, I'll, I'll be the judge of that. Let me see if I can break it down for you quite simply. No, no. I mean, I've got a few pastors here in the room that can either back me up or correct me, but very simply, Moses is a sinner. Remember that Moses did not gain entry into the promised land because of his own sin, okay? So when we hear some of these conversations between Moses and God, there is certainly some righteous faith that is taking place, but certainly some questioning on the part of Moses that would reveal his own, how does Luther explain it in the catechism? Fear, love, and trust. Okay? Um, So Moses, while we certainly uh, extol him uh, and uphold him um, as God used him, uh, Moses is, is, I would say, yet a sinner. Okay? So thus, some of his conversations with God um, are also difficult to translate properly from the Hebrew into the English. But you are correct in picking up on a little bit of the pompousness sometimes uh, that Moses may take. Uh, as you will see with, with other prophets, uh, Jeremiah uh, and others, as they speak to God, as they wrestle with uh, with God's will, with what God has given. And so that constant battle that dwells within each and every one of us between the saint and the sinner, the simul, simul justus et peccator, uh, that, 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 same, that same thing is there present with, with Moses as well. Okay, now, we'll handle the rest of it over lunch. <laughs> Any other pastors or doctors in the room want to jump in? No, they're off today. Okay. Okay, I believe we are on page uh, 112 of your book. Uh, This is uh, the chapter, the sacrament of the altar. I forget what chapter we're on because we're going through this book so quickly, chapter 7. We started it a year ago, Pastor uh, Dr. Noland. Dr. Noland, remember that I'm a poppy vicar, so we're, we're only a year into this book. 
Okay. Um, so we should be on top of page 112 to talk. We, we finished the John 1930 passage. It is finished. Uh, first full paragraph to talk now of having to sacrifice Christ's body and blood. There we go, son. Good job. Let's begin. So to talk now of having to sacrifice Christ's body and blood, again, somehow in the celebration of the sacrament, is to suggest that the one sacrifice on the cross was not quite enough after all. So Marquardt here is, is talking about the Roman Catholic concept, and he's being very general here, uh, of re-sacrificing Christ back on the cross in the midst of the Mass. So ultimately, the simple question is, what's going on at the sacrament of the altar? Okay, that's, that's what Marquardt here is teaching us about. So such a belittling of the Lord's own self-offering once and for all is, frankly, intolerable. That explains the Reformation's rather strong and uncompromising language in rejecting the sacrifice of the Mass as blasphemous. It is not true, however, that Christ's one propitiatory sacrifice is present in the sacrament of his body and blood. Is it not true? Yes, but... All depends on the, quote, direction one has in mind here. The Lord's body and blood are not present in the sacrament to be offered up anew somehow by way of a propitiatory sacrifice. Rather, they are being offered down by God as the finished, completed sacrifice, now being distributed with all its benefits to its beneficiaries, right? So, primary purpose of the Lord's Supper is what? How would you summarize it? primary purpose of the Lord's Supper. Forgiveness of sins, and how do you receive this forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation? Huh? Very good. You eat and drink it, right? So, so Jesus, in his own words, and, and, and this, this is where, uh, you know, and I'm a little bit of a Nagelite, right? Uh, a little bit of a Corbyite as well. So it's all about, it's all about mandate. We go to what Christ has said... He has given us to do, and for the reasons that He has given them to us, right? So to eat and to drink, what do we do with this bread and wine that, that now His words, His words of life create and, and, and bring now through the power of his, of his Word, of that Word, the body and blood of Jesus there uh, in the bread and the wine? We eat and drink it. Okay? And we receive everything that he promises, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Okay? Um, and so it, it, it is so much more than what our, our eyes behold or our eyes see, which is why, as we've talked a little bit in the past, there is the phrase, medicine of immortality. So the Lord's Supper is, 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 is all of Jesus for all of you. All of you physically, all of you spiritually. Okay? Which is why we as pastors have encouraged you when you're sick, when you're unable to, to come, or you're just in need. What is our job as stewards to do, to bring to you? Okay? Steve Voltman, don't say a fifth of bourbon. Okay? Phil Spray, don't say a fine cigar. Our job as pastors is to bring to you the Lord's gifts that he desires to give to you and that you need, right? So if you are in need of those things, you're struggling, whether physically, spiritually, or otherwise, the Lord has great gifts for you, okay? 
Uh, and so that is, that, is, that is our vocation as pastors to bring those things and dispense them to you. Okay. Questions or comments? It's really quite simple when you start to grasp it. It's, it's really not rocket science, but, but because we're sinners, uh, we, we start to come up with all these uh, other ways of looking at it. Okay. So, back to, the, uh, back to the middle of the second full paragraph. Consider again, he says, the Old Testament animal sacrifices, and pay attention here, Wednesday morning, uh, Leviticus Bible study folks. Certain of these sacrifices would be divided up into three parts. One part to be burned on God's altar, one part to be given to the priest for food, and one part to be returned to the family bringing the offering for their sacrificial or sacramental meal. Okay? Um, can we get 1 Corinthians 10.18 up on the screen real quick? Okay. In the case of Christ, we know himself the victim and himself the priest from one of our great hymns. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10.18 and read that together. Here we go. You ready? Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Right? So there is a there is a participation now in 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 the midst of it. There is a, there is a connection. So it's not just that that once the sacrifices you know was offered and then left that that's the end of it. Okay. Uh, thus the importance now of the meal itself, and this is part of why uh, in the Missouri Synod uh, and 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 in other faithful Lutheran bodies we talk about closed communion, because fellowship is so important. Because there's so much more that's going on in the sacramental meal than, again, the eye can see or behold. Okay? Questions or comments there? Throwing a few things. Hoping hoping some of you would get a little, hey, I don't know about that. Okay, I guess you're all good. All right. Um, But in the case of Christ, himself the victim and himself the priest, the entire sacrifice is offered to God. He returns this entire completed sacrifice to us in the sacrament, and we are asked to give ourselves to him entirely in return. Romans 12.1, let's look at that. Romans 12, verse 1, let your fingers do the walking. Here we go. Let's read that together. You ready? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, right? So saved by grace through faith, yes. To do what? To do good works which God created in advance for you to do, okay? So works always follows now faith. Thus, thus we, should, we should continue to uh, admonish, encourage, and exhort now uh, to good works. We should speak of those things. We should talk about how we are living our lives. And so this is now proper balance between law and gospel, mainly because you and I remain like Moses what? A sinner. And the sinner in you needs what? Well, not just forgiveness. <laughs> the sitter in you needs to be disciplined. I mean, needs to be drowned and die, right? And now through the power of, of, of that word, okay, uh, there, there is, uh, you know, the, the, l- l- let's back up just a little bit, right? The, the sinner cannot be reformed, if you will. The, the sinner in you cannot be, you know, give it more and more law, and all of a sudden the sinner is going to start behaving. The sinner is always going to be the sinner. 
which is why God gives you now something new, right? So, so you die daily in your baptism to sin, and you rise to new life. So God now brings and creates, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. He does all of this now through, through faith, through his word, through sacraments, okay? So now there is, there, there is, there is a new, say your name, there is a new, sounds like Pentecost when you do that, it's kind of fun. There is a new, there you go, okay, in you, okay, uh, which is, is all by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, and now the, 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 the new man in you desires to, to follow God's law, loves God, God's law, right? Read Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man whose delight is in the Torah, the, the, the law, or simply the word of the Lord, right? And, and that person now that, that, that delights in, in God's word will be like a tree planted by streams of, not beer, water, living water, right? And so thus Jesus comes and says to the Samaritan woman, what? Who, by the way, and, and uh, uh, pre- preparing you for Pastor Grady's sermon, second service people, the Samaritan woman who's living with a man that's not her husband and who has done this before, and Jesus comes now and offers, offers living water. Forgiveness that, that is always there, that, in, that there would be recognition of sin, that there would be repentance, right? A, 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 a sewer, a turning away from, from the horrible smell of sin and now receiving of the Lord's gifts that would result now in thus the good works of doing that which is good and right and true, okay? But we can't do that in and of ourselves. God can only do that through His, through his Word, through His power, right? It's His didymus and exousia, Okay? It's, it's his power and it's the authority of his word that doesn't, it doesn't originate within us. Okay? So, so back here to the Lord's Supper. I don't want to get too far off on a tangent. Okay? Um, so Romans 12, verse 1. Did we read that already? We Did we? Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the New Testament goes by holes, not by halves or by sevens or even by tithes, tenths, right? So if you even start talking about that, well, I have to give a tenth of everything I have. If you come and say that to me, I will say you, I will tell you, "Uh uh-uh, you have to give all. God doesn't demand a tenth. He demands all. So if you want to start breaking God down by tenths and halves and holes, and and you want to, you know, think, hey, look at me. I'm climbing the Joel Olstein Christian ladder of becoming a better person now. And I would say you're doing a horrible job because you need to give everything. Which is what Jesus says to the rich young lawyer, right? What must I do to be saved? Go and sell everything you have. Right? Uh, go and sell everything to the rich young ruler and to the lawyer. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Right? So, can you do that? No. You can't. Which is why you need Christ. Okay? Uh, so, the gift is without reserve. Let's read that together. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Or in the sublime words of St. John, let's read it together. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. 
So now we're back to the where's Waldo question. Where's Jesus? Because where Jesus is now, you have this life and you have it abundantly that God the Father has so graciously given and bestowed upon you, right? Uh, Which is what makes divine service, liturgia, the service of God for his people so important, is, is the word coming to you and his gifts as well. Now, false ideas of sacrifice, next paragraph, can also take more subtle form. Given our inborn illusions about self-salvation, do you think Moses harbored some of those? He's a sinner. You know, I think we've got to be very careful. We don't, we don't fall into the whole, you know, saint concept that the Roman church has also endorsed, that, that here are those who, who always trusted, never failed, okay? Righteous only by faith, not necessarily by works and actions, Right? Um, so uh, there's only one scripture says that was, that was perfect, that was without sin. And that's who? Christ. So when scripture makes that very exclusive claim that, that, that Christ, okay, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is the only one, he who knew no sin, okay, and now became sin, okay, um, we, we have to be, be very careful. And that's why I don't know if you've ever encountered this in your life. You've had someone that you've looked up to in your life, okay? Um, you know, it could be a parent, could be a coach, uh, could be a mentor, um, you know, politician. You fill in the blank. Someone that you're just like, man, I want to be like this person. Or this person is just, they're the fill in the blank. They're the bee's knees, as my mom used to say, right? Uh, they're just, they're the, and then what happens? They screw up. They sin. And perhaps they do it spectacularly. (laughs) Right? And it's public. But regardless, your image of this person is now completely shattered. And of course, there's a part of you that wants nothing to do with this person. Or perhaps this person was, was a teacher. And therefore, you want nothing to do now with any other teachers. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a parent. I mean, you see how we sinners do this? We put our faith and our trust sometimes, um, well, we just put it in the wrong place. And we think much too highly sometimes uh, of others, and we forget that we're all born sinful and unclean. Okay? Every single person you look up to or respect will fail you in some way, shape, or form. Okay? So, us as pastors, I'd like to tell you, we're always going to be the type of pastors that you want and that you need. But I'm going to look you right in the eye and say, and I've been here a year now, so I can, I can say this, but you probably heard it before. Not, it's not going to happen. We'll offend you, we'll, we'll be remiss in something. Um, hopefully it's, it's unintentional and not intentional, but I'm a sinner. And, so it, it, and that was the hardest thing for me when I was a young man being told I should become a pastor. And it's why I didn't go through uh, college and seminary right away, because I thought pastors were, I thought they were, I really thought they were. I thought they were a whole different breed of people. That they didn't have sinful thoughts, that, 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 that they were always did everything right all the time, 
And, uh, <laughs> and it took me a while to figure out that, I mean, they're people too. Yes, they have a job. Yes, there's a little bit of a higher standard, just as you would expect in, in, in other types of offices. But they're just people, okay? And so we're all in that same boat as sinners now, and that's, that's why we need that law and the gospel. So back now to the idea of sacrifice and where the Lord's Supper fits in with this is that Christ has now offered himself once for all. And the Lord's Supper now is, is, is not about either putting Jesus back on the cross or that God gives us some sort of, 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 of means to, to do work that will now receive his gifts, but that his gifts are freely given. Okay, because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Okay? Um, you know, and, and some people want to want to turn that into God being a taskmaster, and that's what Luther really wrestled with early on, because that's what he was raised with. That that God is a taskmaster who's giving all these things to do, and and by gosh and by golly, you better you better check the boxes. When God says jump, you better say. How high? And, and, you know, and you just, you better, you better keep going at it. Uh, because now God's grace and mercy is going to be measured by how, how, how high you're jumping, or how well you're doing, or how well you're keeping the law. And, and that's not it as well. God's grace and mercy, and this is why we talk about the doctrine of justification that's so important. You are justified by what? By who? By Christ. God measures you according to all that He is and did and has done, right? And that, and that is what great freedom comes with that when you start to understand that, okay? Um, and, uh, and thus, perhaps, Mrs. McKay, we also have to be a little careful because knowing all that, sometimes we think that puts us in a position where we can talk to God a certain way, okay? I don't know if you've had this. I had a situation last week where I uh, knew of somebody that was really struggling with all sorts of things. And then all of a sudden, the, this person called me and said, I've got cancer. And, and, you know, and did my pastor thing on the phone. But all the while, I'm, I'm seething inside. Who do you think I'm angry with? And so I get off the phone, and I'm, I'm by myself, and we had a little talk. And it wasn't very respectful on my part. I'll admit it to you freely, and thank, thank goodness I've been forgiven for that. Okay? But what, what do we want to do as sinners? How in the world, God, this person is, what are you thinking? Right? I mean, have you had those moments? What in the world? Now, and I would encourage you still to keep talking to him. <laughs> Come see us. <laughs> um, but, you know, communication is still important. And so I think we see that, you know, for example, even with, with Moses and, and others. And, 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 and Luther was notorious for, you know, people would walk into his study or wherever and he'd be, he'd be talking and muttering. Sometimes it was just to the devil and the evil spirits that were there, right? Um, and, uh, you know, so I, you know, maybe be careful where you do that. So I don't know what your, your work environment is like. Um, but, uh, you know, faith always comes back and clings to, to God's promises. But the sinner in you and in me always wants to be either the one that's in charge or the one that seems to understand the way forward. 
Um, and yet God is all of those big O words, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is that God for you, and he knows all, and, and whatever he brings you to, he, he will bring you through it. He'll provide a way out, 1 Corinthians 10, that you can stand up under it. A promise for you that Paul clung to in the midst of his own struggles and, and, and whatever the thorn was in his side. Okay? All right, back to the Lord's Supper. Any questions or comments here? I'm trying to bait, him, be bait, I'm trying to bait you guys today, but you're being really good, probably because we have guests. So, Okay. Um, so false ideas of sacrifice can also take more subtle forms. Given our inborn illusions about self-salvation, it is not surprising that God's gracious visitations come to be twisted into celebrations of our own religiosity. This happens in the Holy Supper when what we do or how we respond looms larger than what God gives in His banquet of grace, right? Did you catch that? If you got the book, you might want to underline it. When what we do or how we respond looms larger than what God gives in His banquet of grace, right? A case in point is the immensely popular four actions scheme derived from Gregory Dix's The Shape of the Liturgy. The four actions thought to be essential to the supper in this view are the offertory procession, he took the bread, the Eucharistic prayer, which absorbs the words of institution, the breaking of the celebrant's host, okay, which is usually kind of a large wafer that is put there on top, okay, uh, and the distribution. Much too here, in the words of Marquardt, much too much is made here of ceremonial formalities. How important really can it be whether the elements arrive in procession or whether a wafer is ceremonially broken? The emphasis here falls on what we do, right? And as you travel around, you'll see some, some, some different customs and traditions, right? If you travel around to Missouri Synod churches, okay, um, come talk to me immediately if you do not... <laughs> Hear the words of institution in the Lord's Prayer, which I'd be really surprised if you didn't hear that in the Missouri Synod Church. Very surprised, okay? Um, I've, I've never witnessed that myself. But however, lots of other traditions and kiss, uh, customs, right? Uh, perhaps kneeling, genuflecting, perhaps certain elevation in different ways. And even as you watch Pastor Grady and I from Sunday to Sunday, okay, there are slight differences between us. Is that Okay. In, 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 in how we observe the Lord's Supper? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's not the important thing. Okay? Um, you know, uh, is, it, uh, is it less of the Lord's Supper if the pastor doesn't chant the words of institution? <laughs> Come on, I'm poking you. No, of course not. That's ridiculous. There's custom and tradition to that. You need to understand that. I mean, you know, and respect that. Um, it, it's the, the power is, is always in the Word. So we want to be careful. There, there's nothing wrong with, with, with quote, ceremony and, and, and celebration, okay? Um, as long as these things are not presented or in done such a way that is detracting from what is really taking place. Okay? And as I've told you before, if, if you're new to Lutheranism or to some of those traditions, and you're like, what in the world did he just do? You need to come talk to us because there's a reason. And if we can't give you a reason for that, we need to stop doing it immediately. You got it? 
Um, so so th this is what more quarts get out. Okay, Any, anybody else here? Yeah, I'm trying to get you riled up a little bit. We're good so far? Okay, you're tracking. Okay. Um, so the emphasis here falls on what we do if we're focusing on those things. Now, the supper is understood as the church's action toward God, not as God's unilateral, unilateral testamentary gift to his church. Okay? Indeed, the ritual action is made to weave a pattern so compelling in its own right that in the end it no longer matters whether Christ's body and blood are there or not. So what he's saying is you have to be very careful that, that you're following this prescribed you know, liturgical order or A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Um, you know, or you, you, you always have to, you know, turn a certain way, you know, depending on where the sedilia, the bishop's seat might be. Or you, you know, and if you don't do that, then it, it, can, it can cause question about whether what? So Mark Warsh is saying be careful with these things, Okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, with having them, high church, low church, middle of the road. I mean, whatever, however you want to phrase all that stuff, okay? Uh, the main thing needs to be the main thing. Let, let's move on here and let him answer some of this. Compare with all this the sober stress on the essentials as found in the formula of concord. The three actions which together make up the divinely instituted use of the sacrament are the, read it with me, the consecration, the distribution, and the reception. So what he's summarizing for us is what our Lutheran confessions simply emphasize. What's most important? Consecration. That the Lord's words now are spoken, that Christ himself, the Vivivox Christe, the living very verse voice of Christ, is now, through the pastor, speaking these words over this bread and this wine, Right? And that's why we bring the bread and the wine from the credence table up here. So you know this bread, this wine right here, right? And not the stuff behind us, not the stuff in the, the fellowship hall or the, the stuff in your purse or your kid's goodie bag or any of that. This stuff right here. This is my body. This is my blood, okay? Uh, given and shed for you, okay? Uh, so the consecration, okay? Uh, otherwise known as a blessing. And keep in mind, a blessing simply and this is what Dr. Kleinig has really taught us well. A blessing is simply the word of God being spoken over a thing. The power and authority of God's word being spoken over, surrounding, applied to a thing. Okay? Happens through the repetition of the words of institution over the bread and wine. According to St. Augustine's famous formula, let's read it together. The word comes to the element and it becomes a sacrament, right? So the word... Okay, the Logos now comes and descends here upon this bread and wine. Okay, so not our action, and we've talked about receptionism a week or two weeks ago, so it's not our faith that makes that word there. We don't fall into that, okay, uh, nor do we follow into the fact that, well, if we do everything right, he'll really be here, okay. Um, it's simply his word. So what does he say to do right? First off, consecration. Okay, um, so certainly not a pretty collage of symbolic rituals, but the all-powerful word and promise of the supper's divine founder and host, right? It is, after all, his supper. Just as his creative words, let's speak it together, be fruitful and increase in number, have lost none of their power, but still make sea and land teem with subhuman and human life, so his words of institution will, until the end of time, make bread and wine. 
think about this. His marvelous creating words, okay? Uh, his, just, just, wow. Make bread and wine, his body and blood in the sacrament, whenever we invoke these words at his command. For in this sense, as Luther put it, Christ, let's read it together, has attached his own command and deed to our speak. And there's your mandate talk. No longer then are Christ's words of institution to be whispered or muttered secretly at the altar as in the Middle Ages. Okay? So, so part of the challenge back during the Middle Ages, and, and he, he's being a little general here, but that's okay. okay? Um, it, was, it was the priest would just speak it very quietly because it really didn't matter whether or not the people would hear it. Okay? Uh, Luther, of course, completely turned this on his head. Remember that you know, after he came back from, uh, from, from his time at the castle, right? he spent three years. Right? We came back and he, he preached a whole bunch for like, how long was it? How many days in a row? When he came back right after his castle, was it 10 days? I forget. He preached every day. Um, and, uh, uh, but then it took him three years. And his, his main emphasis as he writes during those three years was to make sure that the church was receiving the gifts of God according to Christ's mandate and institution. It took him three years for them to have the Lord's Supper every Sunday there in Wittenberg. Okay? Uh, and during that time, he was teaching uh, and preaching about, about this type of stuff that Marquardt's teaching us about, consecration, okay? uh, reception, distribution. Okay? Um, so, Oh, I lost my place. Sorry. No longer then are Christ's words and to be whispered, right? So the words are to be are to be spoken clearly, okay? And even if they're sung, uh, to be sung clearly, right? And so we as pastors even have to be careful with that, right? So I mean, you know, this is my body, this is my blood. Give it, you know. I mean, we don't break into some sort of rap or jazz. We we speak or sing them clearly to you, right? Um, and they're still words, and they're still designed for you to hear and words to work, right? Um, so as I was taught, uh, speak or chant them just as you would simply speak or in an understandable way, you know, sing and present it, right? So don't, don't make it really crazy. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And you're like, what? <laughs> Is that normal? You know. Now, it's still the power of the word. I'm not going to debate whether or not that's, you know, the word. The word of God is going to do its work, okay? But just let the word be the word, okay? Now, in different cultures, I don't know. I've never been to Nigeria. Maybe you speak really fast or really slow, really slow, and that's okay, right? So, so, so know where you're at, okay, um, and 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 simply let the word of God do that. I'm going to get in trouble now. <laughs> now, this is what's interesting. So, our term hocus pocus, okay, which showed up in our sermon today. Look for that at second service, people. All right. I was like, I was like, ooh, I wonder if he read what we're working on today in Bible class. Uh, uh, that, that comes from the misunderstood Latin for this is my body. Did you know this? Hoc est enum corpus meum or meum? Meum, okay? Um, so hocus pocus, right? So, so what, did, what did some people, wow, you know? I, I had, I had, I had, I got to tell you a story. 
So I had a Missouri Synod pastor. Um, he's he's kind of a friend of mine. Um, he's not a he's not a bad guy. Um, so we were talking. I, I I for some reason went to a Sunday service at at his parish. I'd never been there before, and um, uh, and so they 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 had lots of. Of, of, of bread and wine, I mean, on the altar, right? It was, it was just loaded up. There were like seven or eight trays of individual cups, and there were, there were piles of wafers and, 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 and hosts of bread. Uh, and in the midst of that, they, uh, they, they ran out, okay? Not sure how they, how they ran out of, of uh, uh, body and blood, bread and wine. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and the elder went back under the altar slid open the door, pulls out some bread and some wine, and then starts handing it out. This is my body, this is my blood, right? Now, what, what, what's missing from what we just talked about? <laughs> There's no words of Jesus. And so I go to talk to this pastor kind of friend of mine, and he said, well, the words of Jesus cover all that, everything under the altar. I said, oh, why did, I didn't know there was bread and wine under the altar. He said, oh, yeah. He goes, everybody knows that. I said, okay, so, so the words cover what's under the altar. I said, I said, how about in the kitchen, which is right below? Do you have any bread and wine down there? Oh, well, no, that wouldn't, the words wouldn't reach that far. And then I said, I said, well, I said, I said, okay. I said, so I'm confused. And, and I was taught if you ever create confusion, you really haven't, you're not doing your job. Because God's not a God of confusion. He's a God of certainty and order, right? So I said, wouldn't it be simpler just to speak the words of, of Christ over whatever bread and wine you pull out from wherever it is? And then people will know the words have been spoken and there's no doubt, there's no fear, there's no trust. And then he, he said to me, he said, well, it's not like the words are hocus pocus. So, <laughs> I mean, th there's still confusion, on, and there there shouldn't be, and I, and I think that's that's why it's it's important to heed some of the words of Marquardt and get back to our Lutheran confessions. Very simply, let let the word do its work. Um, let the word be that power where there is confusion, um, then boy, I mean, make whatever changes you can make. So that's why the church is orderly, and that's part of why we have liturgy and use that. Yes, there might be some different customs and traditions from place to place uh, and that sort of thing, but it all comes back to the power of the word, okay? Um, so rather these words are to be publicly spoken or chanted, Marquardt says, for they are, quote, let's read it together, the sum and substance of the whole gospel, accomplishing the very mysteries they describe. Okay. We'll end there for today. Okay. When you come back next year for a symposia, we'll probably be on the last chapter of this book, Dr. Noel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
my microphone is off. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Correct. If we need, if we need more, and this this becomes a great little uh, sticky wicket <coughs> seminarian question, as I like to call them, right? So if we need uh, more body of Jesus, okay, um, you can do one of two things: you can speak all the words of institution. Or you can also just speak the words that pertain to the body. Make sense? Okay. Um, and so uh, that's a fun little thing if you want to you figure out the divide between various professors and theologians. But it's, it's, it's still the word. Okay. Um, so we, we, will, we will do that. We will always be behind the altar. So if we need more bread or wine, you know, we'll figure out roughly how much we get. Okay. It's really very simple. We do a head count in the space of like 30 seconds. Okay, and we got a pretty good idea of what we're going to have at each service. Okay, um, and so we know roughly how many individual cups we typically use. We know roughly, you know, the, the altar guild has 75 uh, hosts or pieces of bread in each one. So we know if we add or take away from that. And so then, you know, we can really get it within 5 to 10, which is not a lot. And so, it, you know, we don't have much... I guess the relic way that which remains, and then what's the best way to to what should you do with what remains? I would simply say Jesus said eat and drink it. That's the simplest way. Okay. Um, now would it be sinful to do something else with it? I'm not going to get into that debate. Um, does it remain the body and blood of Jesus? We're not going to get into that. We're just going to say what's the best way is what he says to do with it: eat and drink it. Okay. Um, I mean, if there's way too much, if for some reason, you know, one of us is is on a lot of painkillers for a bad knee where they played basketball the day before or something like that, uh, and they totally overcount, you know, we're probably not going to stand up there and guzzle a whole bottle of wine. I, well, I'm just telling you, we're not going to do that. That, would, that. that, to me, would be improper. We'd wait till after the service. We might invite some of the elders and others to come up and consume it and do it that way, Okay. So churches you go to, they will have different ways of kind of handling that. Be respectful of that. Certainly ask questions, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're, you know, to do that. But, I mean, every church should kind of know how their pastors are practicing those things and being faithful to them, right? Which is a source of comfort. You know what's being done and for what reason, right? I mean, you know, th those, are, those are good things, okay? I never thought about some of that until, you know, <laughs> I got to be honest, it was actually after seminary. You know, when I had a, had a bunch of uh, pastors that started making me question things, and I was, or I saw, and I was like, what in the world are they doing? <laughs> you know, so, okay. Or you go to symposium and you hear something from a professor, you know, Dr. Scare is famous for zipping things in there. And there's a, there's a few others. Oh, I'm wearing a sweater. Here's a, here, uh, Dr. Nell, I'm going to pick on you. Which professor at Concordia Seminary in Fort Wayne uh, says that in Germany, only the liberal pastors wear sweaters. Huh? Yes. <laughs> Pastor Feeney comes back from, the, uh, from Cayman Islands. He was there for four months as a missionary. He actually was a missionary there. He was not just, a, I mean, he was on the beach every day, but he did a great job. And we, we have fun with Pastor Feeney. And he comes back, and I'm wearing a sweater. And he says, oh, he goes, liberal pastor. <laughs> And I was like, what? You just got back from the Cayman Islands. Would you still have been drinking or something? 
And he's like, no, because I was talking to Ziegler the other day, and he was telling me that, you know, all the liberal pastors in Germany wear sweaters. So I said, because you said that, I'm going to wear a sweater more often now. So. <laughs> Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.